the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. January 22nd, 2021. Back in 2017, I was privileged to be at a small dinner gathering and was seated at a table with Gary Kasparov. The host of the dinner party ultimately had to separate us as the conversation became increasingly heated. He was fulminating about how Donald Trump became president by dint of Russian interference in the 2016 election. I had, as you can imagine, a different view. I remember asking, can you can anyone tell me of any report anywhere that shows one vote was moved from Clinton to Trump because of anything Russia did? After all, as we would later learn, Russia's social media advertising was, I say sarcastically, huge. One one thousandth of a percent of all posts, a whopping forty six thousand dollars spent five one hundredths of a percent of presidential campaign spending on social media that year, five one hundredths of a percent. In what has to have been one of the longest running hoaxes or conspiracy theories in all of politics, perhaps short of some grassy knoll concept, is the notion that Donald Trump's 2016 election was illegitimate and bought and paid for or influenced by Russia, or that the Trump campaign colluded with Russian entities to secure an election victory. Indeed, a special counsel's office spent nearly 1,000 times the amount of money Russian entities did to conclude there was no evidence of Trump-Russia collusion. Good use of time and money, that. And throughout, Gary Kasparov kept saying that was the case. It wasn't. Kasparov was not alone, to be fair. Hillary Clinton said it and maintained it, still does. Nancy Pelosi said it and maintained it, still does. Even Jimmy Carter said it and maintained it, so far as I know, still does. Of course, it is the right and the conservative movement and Republicans that bathe in conspiracy theories, though, right? The truth is, we have nothing on them. So today you can imagine my surprise to open up the Wall Street Journal editorial page to read a lesson and instruction from Mr. Kasparov on what the Republicans and the conservative movement need to do to recover their credibility and standing. Maybe it's those who've peddled conspiracy theories for going on more than four years that need some lessons, but nevertheless, Mr. Kasparov does speak or write to an ever-larger and growing sentiment in this country. But that's the thing about sentiments. They are feelings and not necessarily true. And his sentiments, the growing sentiment about the GOP and conservatives, is actually untrue. Let's go through it, if at least so we can begin to try to stop it. The title of his essay in the Wall Street Journal is, quote, The GOP Hit Rock Bottom. Can Conservatives Recover? Close quote. Rock bottom would be a wave election defeating the Republican Party. Rock bottom would not be an evenly divided Senate, with the GOP having picked up 13 seats in the House of Representatives. Another way to put that, the Democrats lost 13 seats to Republicans. I'm not portraying victory, but I'm guessing 
They're sweating about 2022 more at the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee today than they are at the Republican Congressional Campaign Committee. In any event, Kasparov writes, quote, If a reckoning is postponed, American conservatism will continue to regress. To many, the total disintegration of the Republican Party may sound like good news, but they're wrong. A bloody victory is unlikely to help if the left refuses to work with moderate conservatives. Those remaining moderates will soon be replaced by radicals with whom there can be no compromise, close quote. I'll return to the notion of a moderate conservative in a moment. Let me just set the table Kasparov sets. He writes, quote, The consensus that most Americans ultimately want the same things, prosperity, freedom, justice, has been broken. These trends have been personified by Donald Trump. This is the first hard truth conservatives must accept if they wish to come in from the cold and again shape the future of the U.S. and the world. The right must disavow its extremists or be destroyed by them. Republicans, or preferably, in my view, members of a new and truly conservative party, must tame their violent conspiracy-loving fringe. They can start by proving that it's the fringe and not the whole carpet. Close quote. Okie dokie. Let us begin with some common sense of the thing here, shall we? What is a moderate conservative? In years past, it meant a fiscal conservative supporting such things as lower taxes and less regulation while remaining socially liberal on issues of family and life. Who is the ideal moderate conservative? Mitt Romney, maybe? Susan Collins? Well, not exactly. Well, Romney was anti-Trump, to be sure. But is he socially liberal? He isn't. You will recall the reason he didn't run for a second term for governor of Massachusetts was because of his banning embryonic stem cell research. You will recall he bragged about being severely conservative. Susan Collins? I know of zero efforts she has made to swing liberals or Democrats to a Republican vote on any issue. The question is always, always the other way around. Will she vote with the Democrats? Will the Democrats be able to get her? The question is never, will Susan Collins be able to get the Democrats to vote with her? Nobody ever uttered the sentence, will the Democrats vote with Susan Collins? It's always the other way around. Which raises a question I raised with a friend the other day, and I think it's a good one. When you think about what you liked most about the Donald Trump presidency, it was the policy, right? What were those policies? So many say, well, I didn't love his temperament, but I did love his policies. What were they? Might we agree the economy burst out and revived by substantial tax cuts and cutting of regulations? Might we agree a heck of a lot of great judicial nominees? Might we agree energy independence? Might we agree a strong border policy? Might we agree no major wars but a destruction of terrorist entities from Iran to ISIS? Might we agree revivifying and building up the military? If you think about it, that's all pretty standard Republican Party conservative movement stuff, isn't it? Perhaps the difference is on immigration, but perhaps not. Aside from the foregoing I mentioned, what about Ronald Reagan's presidency differs from what I listed out. If there is a difference between other Republicans and the Trump policies, it almost has to be only one thing. Temperament, no? And perhaps the resolute manner in which Donald Trump pushed all these things, perhaps his assiduousness in it. So if we're being honest, the reality is that Trump's presidency outside of the opposition against it was pretty standard. It's just that it was a standard or set of standards that were accomplished, actually promised and fulfilled, no? 
So what in the heck would we want to get rid of? Even Fareed Zakaria of CNN said the dirty little secret in Washington is Trump was harder on Russia than most, something you would think Kasparov would give him credit for. But no, he has an argument to make, and his theories shouldn't be undone by those kinds of inconvenient facts. Kasparov writes, quote, The consensus that most Americans ultimately want the same things, prosperity, freedom, justice, has been broken, and by Donald Trump, right? Did Trump propose impeaching himself before he was inaugurated? Did Donald Trump propose impeaching, him, impeaching himself some 70 times? Did Donald Trump abuse the Department of Justice to spy on political opponents? Did Donald Trump's supporters riot in the streets for three months, killing over 30 people and causing billion do- billions of dollars of damage while taking over police stations and firebombing federal courthouses while his party said nothing or justified it? Kasparov anticipates those questions by cutely writing, quote, There is no time for feeble whataboutism. The left has its share of radicals, but Joe Biden defeated them at the ballot box. They didn't take over the Democratic Party as they did the GOP, close quote. There's that handy little phrase deployed so often by the left, peremptorily used to cut off any distinctions or corrections conservatives would normally be allowed. Whataboutism. Did Joe Biden defeat radicals? Or did he bring them into his administration? He chose the most left-wing member of the Senate as his running mate, thus also his successor. He's already signed an executive order on transgenderism and education and racial education. Nancy Pelosi endorsed and endowed socialists running for Congress against non-socialist Democrats running against the socialists in their primaries. I wanted to say shame on Kasparov for writing this, quote, The American right will be doomed and deservedly so if its vanguard is violent mobs with Confederate flags, close quote. What a slur. We just went through five years of a street and elite movement lecturing us that it was more patriotic to not stand for the national anthem than to stand for it, to not sing the Star-Spangled Banner than to sing it, telling us the American flag, not the Confederate flag, the American flag represented racism and oppression. One of the men arrested at the January 6th Capitol riots heads an organization called Insurgents USA, whose website opens up with videos of burnings of the American flag. We just went through a year of Marxist movement being adopted by big city mayors and governors and painting their slogans on the streets and naming streets after them. We just went through a year of massive flag burnings. As for Trump rallies, Republican rallies... Count the Confederate flags, please. In the hundreds of Trump rallies, I bet you can't find ten. The Confederate flag stands for the philosophy that our founding was meant to enforce slavery. That's the view of the left, Dr. Kasparov, not we conservatives. And, by the way, who took down the 1776 report and canceled the 1776 commission? And who created it? There's your socialist memory hole totalitarian movement, Kasparov, going after the American founding. We wanted to celebrate 1776 and teach it. Their side wanted to change the date and unteach it and take down any possible public dissemination of our teaching. Dr. Kasparov, you build to your conclusion writing this, quote, The January 6th attack on the Capitol was the rock-bottom moment that asked if the Republican Party wants to go through the pain of a rehabilitation and live or die in ignominy. 
There can be no pretending it didn't happen. Conservatives must get through the whole 12-step recovery program in record time. Let me remind, one ten-thousandth of one percent of the adult population was involved in January 6th. Conservatives must get through the whole 12-step recovery program in record time to cleanse themselves of that? If you said as much about the riots last year that involved 15,000 times the number of rioters on January 6th, if you said as much about those riots, which did have a political purpose as opposed to the anarchists and political misfits of January 6th that every Republican I know denounced, I'll apologize. But frankly, doctor, I think you need to apologize for this gross collective responsibility you want to shovel onto all of us. Here's an idea, simple and short, on how to repair the GOP. Don't listen to revisionists and hucksters who have their own conspiracy theories, which are far more damaging than anything they attempt to gaslight us with. Doctor, heal thyself. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960, your show most of the day. We have John Gabriel at the top of the next hour with some thoughts. And uh, the great Larry Elder is going to join us in the third hour. He wants to get some stuff off his chest from the inauguration. Um, Bill, you're a big baseball fan. I thought I should turn it over to you. Today we lost a big one in Hank Aaron, didn't we? To many, including myself, still the true home run king, 755 career homers, though not just one-dimensional, well-rounded, great player. And uh, a name we all grew up with, uh, you know, just just one of the heroes in the pantheon of, of baseball, right? How many can you say there are, five or six of them? He's definitely one of them, right? I mean, you have obviously Babe Ruth. Uh, you could probably name two or three others. I, I'm, I'm running, I'm running uh, short on it. But. Sure, you can mention him with you know Ted Williams, yeah. Joe DiMaggio. Right. He he was a Mickey little later Man. with Willie Mays, Wiki, that, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays. Absolutely. But Hank Aaron is right up there. He, um, I think, he, I was thinking, you know, the the show. I, I I get to sports via other ways. You get to sports via sports. I get there through other avenues. And I was thinking, was he in a Magnum PI episode? Because Magnum PI was a huge. Uh, a huge Detroit fan, right? Sure. Um, and no, he wasn't. Uh, he, I think he might have been in a MacGyver episode, but who did Magnum have? He had Alan Trammell and Lou Whitaker, right? They're not Two quite... Tigers infielders of that time. Right. right? They, they were good, but they're not quite in that category. No, they, they they're not in on the Pamela and Hanks level. Yeah, yep. yeah, no, no. Well, rest in peace uh, to people who bring great credit to, uh, to a great sport that I think has fallen. Um, am I right in saying that? I think... You saw the passing of um, uh, we saw the passing of uh, of uh, Tommy Lasorda, and now of course uh, Hank Aaron. See, it feels like something from a great sport is leaving us too, doesn't it? Yeah, and and I'd say it, baseball has fallen, but not as far as football and basketball. Would that be fair? Yeah, probably, probably. M- MLB wasn't as bad as as football, which wasn't as bad as in the NBA. I thought the NBA was the worst of them. Am I right in that assessment? I would agree with that pecking order as yeah. well. Hockey has probably fallen the least. Hockey the least. What What do you think there is about S- that? Do you think still still mostly hard America? Yeah, maybe? yeah, maybe hard America. Maybe yeah. Not quite as elite, yeah. In its own, in its own, in its own way, um, more workmanlike, blue collar, lunch pail type. Something players. like that. Something like that. Hard to put our finger on it, but maybe there's a smart essay in there somewhere. 
Salary's not quite as high. Salaries aren't as high. It's just not as big a part. It's Anyway, interesting, interesting observation. Um, do we have time to play the little the, the pr- product you put together today? Um, Bill and I, mostly Bill, as we watch, speaking of Pantheon, as we watch the lionization, the ever-increasing lionization of Anthony Fauci, just as I thought we would be done with this meddlesome priest, he's back. Before, you know, everyone just gets too excited about how back he is and how great it will be to have this, as he put it, unrestrained scientist just letting the science speak for itself, where we don't guess if we don't know the answers anymore. That's what he said yesterday, too. Our new standard is we're not going to guess if we don't know the answers. Before before we lionize this, this great saint of correctness and everything he disseminated. Listen to this little mashup Bill put together. Bottom line, we don't have to worry about this one, right? Well, you know, obviously you need to take it seriously and do the kinds of things that the CDC and the Department of Homeland Security are doing. But this is not a major threat for the people in the United States. And this is not something that the citizens of the United States right now should be worried about. We'd be changing our habits. And if so, how? No, right now, at this moment, there is no need to change anything that you're doing on a day-by-day basis. I don't think this is something that the United States public should be worried or frightened about. Mm -hmm. I think the risk is very low right now for the United States. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it? Because people are listening really closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask, and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying Uh, uh, inside uh, uh, there? Of course, of course. There is St. Anthony for you. Don't wear masks. People don't know how to use masks either. That's the president he's working for. People don't need to change their habits. Not a big threat to the United States. Okay, just so we know who's right all the time and who's wrong all the time. We'll keep that handy, Bill. Nice work. 602-508-0960. Your open lines Friday. Love to hear from you. We'll be right back. Just love that voice. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Stronger every day. Yeah, we got to get stronger every day. We don't. We listen to the Kasparovs. We're going to get weaker every day. There is an investment in making us weaker as a movement, as a party. That is not the interest of this show and this audience. I take it uh, from as I have heard you over the last several months. 602-508-0960. That means not buying into that narrative. That means not buying into the kind of uh, drivel that uh, Kasparov was peddling in the Wall Street Journal today. It's amazing to me how, how, how big, uh, how much bigger um, that sentiment is growing in the United States. You got to get rid of, you got to get rid of, of the extremists. You got to get rid of extremism in your party. I've heard it. I've, you know, I've heard it for years. I've heard, I've heard it for years and years and years. I heard Nelson Rockefeller say it to Richard Nixon 
I heard Jerry Ford say it to Ronald Reagan. I heard Bush say it to Ronald Reagan. I heard the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, who always cared about the Republican Party, saying about Ronald Reagan, you always get rid of the extremists in your party. You've got – you'll never win another election if you don't get rid of – what's the extreme? What is so extreme that Donald Trump did? I'd like to know. What is the policy? His policies were fairly standard Republican policies. In fact, beyond standard in the sense that they also brought in many, 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 many more people to the Republican Party that had not affiliated with it. Reagan Democrats it was a thing. I think the um, Trump uh, Republicans was a bigger thing. He really did change this party. Uh, into a much more working class party, much more. You can go back and read the stories of the Republican Party of the late 80s, mid and early 90s, and you see the stories are about how the Republican Party is the party of the elites, the party of the wealthy, the party of the corporate and business class. That's different now. That's different now. And as for the elites, I, the elites, you know, I don't know what constitutes an elite. I kind of have a sense in my head of what the elites are. I suppose. It's uh, let's use my uh, producer Bill's uh, Bill's uh, description. Uh, elites uh, go to uh, have season tickets at the NBA games. Uh, the regular guys watch hockey. That's 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 a pretty pretty good image, I guess. But um, immigration is now going to be the next huge debate here in America, along with other issues of race. Um, Issues and Insights writes that among his day one executive orders, Biden halted construction on the border wall, removed consequences for sanctuary cities, fortified protections of so-called dreamers and required the census to count illegal immigrants when deciding how to apportion congressional districts. Meanwhile, the Department of Homeland Security also two days ago announced a 100 day pause on deportations and called a halt to Donald Trump's remain in Mexico policy. That's not all. Biden also proposed sweeping legislation that, among other things, would grant amnesty to anyone who entered the country illegally before the first of the year, which adds up to roughly 11 million people. It's been, of this legislation said by the executive director of United We Dream, the most progressive legalization bill in history. Um, Tom Cotton had a better line on it. Total amnesty, no regard for the health and security of Americans, and zero enforcement. Biden's sharp U-turn hasn't gone unnoticed in Central America as more try to get across the border. In fact, border apprehensions were up 74 percent in November and December compared with the year before. Meanwhile, caravans are already gathering to rush the border, fed by the hope that Biden will let them in. As a matter of fact, one activist said the caravan expects, quote, that the Biden government honor its commitments, close quote. Biden, Team Biden is already getting worried about a stampede, with one official saying that the caravans need to understand they are not going to be able to come into the United States immediately. But Biden's actions speak louder than these mouthed words. So why invite an immigration crisis? Could it be because Democrats see a flood of illegal immigrants today as a way to help them win elections in the future? Whatever the reason, a crisis at the border will be the fault of the Biden administration and the Biden administration alone. We had the border calmed, quelled, and now we don't or aren't going to. It's an odd thing to focus on, to put so much focus on. And it's um, it's the kind of thing that can lead to tremendous bash backlash 
just like when Barack Obama was inaugurated and he moved so quickly and so swiftly on Obamacare, the Affordable Health Care Act. It was not something he campaigned that much on. It was not. It was the economy and getting the economy back in order. You'll remember how bad it was with all the subprime mortgages and failures of all the banks. And then he went and did Obamacare. And then we came back and took over the House. Biden's going to do the same thing with immigration. That's a fight we'll have. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960 on this, your Open Lines Friday. Anything you want to talk about, um, we're here for you. And then we played that uh, Johnny Cash cover of a Bob Dylan song, If Not For You, because uh, in honor of my friend Steve, um, uh, who is a huge Bob Dylan fan, but since we try to art- have articulate articulable, understood words and lyrics here. We sometimes have to go to covers of Bob Dylan. This is extremely frustrating. There's a bill being filed in the Oklahoma legislature to open up Sasquatch hunting season. That's a terrible thing. Terrible. All right. Um, I want to stay on this. uh, I want to stay on the um, immigration thing for just a moment if I can. Someone sent me uh, Tucker Carlson's take on it. And um, it's really, really good. Tucker Tucker Carlson writes that Thursday was Joe Biden's first day in office. You can tell a lot about what people value on the first day in any job. So what's at the top of Joe Biden's to-do list? Opening the borders and crushing our country's last remaining independent economic sector. First, Biden signed an an executive order revoking the permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. Now, no matter how you feel about fossil fuel... Though if you drive a car or fly on an airplane or use the hospital or enjoy electricity, you might want to think carefully about how you feel about fossil fuel. There's no getting around the economic effect of this decision. Millions of Americans don't have jobs right now. And with this one signature, Joe Biden just put 11,000 people out of work. But he wasn't done. Biden also instructed the Department of Homeland Security to halt deportations of illegal aliens. And when we see illegal aliens, we mean illegal aliens, not just the Countless undocumented Americans that Joe Biden tells us are busy curing cancer and winning Nobel Prizes and in general being a lot more impressive than you have ever been. Biden's order also covers criminals, rapists, murderers and others who are too dangerous, who are dangerous to you and me. So the message is clear. If you break our laws to get here and commit felonies once you arrive, sometimes against American citizens, Biden will reward you with blanket amnesty. It's a pretty strong, straight statement to make on your first day. As a president. So why wouldn't every poor person in the world sneak into America? Of course they would. And they will increase the size. America's population is the whole point of the exercise. Biden himself explained that when he first started running for president in August two years ago, he said, quote, we could afford to take in a heartbeat another two million people. The idea that a country of 330 million people cannot absorb people who are in desperate need and who are justifiably fleeing oppression is Absolutely bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. I would also move to increase the total number of immigrants able to come to the United States, close quote. We're not sure how Joe Biden calculated that we can afford to take in another 2 million people. 
Joe Biden is all heart, but probably closer to a religious leader than an accountant. That's why in his first address from the Oval Office, he unveiled a bust of, as we mentioned, Cesar Chavez, the famed labor leader who led the Great Pickers Union in California in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Our easily impressed friends in the media were, needless to say, easily impressed by this. The Washington Post headline, Biden's Cesar Chavez bust in the Oval Office signals a new era for Latinos, activists hope. That was the headline in the Washington Post. If you know anything about Cesar Chavez, it's pretty hilarious. The real Cesar Chavez passionately hated illegal immigration. He said so all the time. Immigration lowers the wages of American workers. That's the whole point of it. Cesar Chavez wasn't stupid. He understood exactly what was going on and was enraged by the efforts to open our border with Mexico. He knew it was another corporate scam posing as a human rights imperative. When the government refused to secure the border, Cesar Chavez's men did it themselves in the winter of 1979. Member of Chavez's union, the United Fruit Workers, formed what they called a human wetline across the southern desert and brutally assaulted nationals, Mexican nationals, trying to come north for work. Chavez's men hit them with chains. That's the guy Joe Biden just told us he reveres. No one in Central America believes Joe Biden really has any idea who Cesar Chavez was. All they know is that amnesty has been announced, so of course they're coming. Why would they not? Meanwhile, Luciano Domenech, excuse me, Luciano Dominguez Trejo, arrested in this country for sexually assaulting a minor, gets to stay here, thanks to Joe Biden. So, too, does Juan Hernandez Rodriguez, a self-described gang member with convictions for felony, grand theft, and burglary. He's been ordered removed from this country five separate times. He's still here. Now he's staying. So is Adonacio Arellano Gutierrez, another convicted gang member, convicted of felony burglary. And Luis Rodriguez Jacobo, convicted of manslaughter. He's not leaving either. When Joe Biden tells you the real threat to our country comes from within, these are definitely not the people he's talking about. He's certainly not talking about Fernando de Jesus Lopez Garcia. Like millions of people in California, Lopez Garcia is living in this country illegally. He's been arrested multiple times for violent crimes, but the state of California has allowed him to stay in order not to seem racist. Then, finally, inevitably, this happened in November. California church stabbing suspect had been deported three times, officials say. Immigration law exists to keep things like that from happening, doesn't it? Isn't that kind of the point, protecting American workers and Americans from crime? In a typical 100-day period last year, for example, ICE agents removed 46, more than 46,000 immigrants with criminal convictions or pending criminal charges. Now they're all staying. It's not like they're trying to operate a restaurant in New Jersey during quarantine or walk through a park without a mask. They're not criminals, after all. They're civil rights heroes. One thing is for certain, they're certainly not aliens. That's another change we learned about this week. Henceforth, the totally modern and not at all radical Biden administration demands that the federal agencies refer to illegal aliens as non-citizens. That language is less precise, obviously, but it's also less racist, so it's better. In the name of unity, people should not be allowed to use certain words or have certain thoughts. Everyone must think exactly the same all the time, and so we'll change words that are common in the law 
from illegal alien to non-citizen. Now, if that seems like terrifyingly mandatory conformity to you, you're wrong. It's what we call unity now. That's why on the Biden administration's website, you can now select your preferred pronouns. Did you know that you could do that? You can now do that when you fill out a contact form. He, she, them, they, questioning. We do have one nagging question, though. What exactly is the point of all these things that have been done in the last 24 hours? We'll answer that when we come back. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Little Dion DiMucci there. Love that guy. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Mike's in Scottsdale. Hi, Mike. Hi, Seth. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. How are you? Great. Uh, Love your music. Thanks. Yeah. Picks you up a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, Hey, I just wanted to uh, inform you uh, about uh, Antifa. I just uh, heard this morning that's there. If you go to their website, antifa.com, it automatically takes you to uh, uh, the WhiteHouse.gov. I saw that. I saw that. Someone must have bought and someone must have purchased Antifa.com as a site to do that. But there is a larger issue here, right, Mike? I mean, there have been these riots that took place over the last couple of days in Portland, Seattle, and Denver that have been uh, Antifa riots. A lot of a uh, fair amount of arrests, anyway. Some injuries. Uh, Denver not looking great at all. Um, police riot gear have been called out. Um, is there going to be any denunciation of this kind of thing, or is it still just a myth, as Jerry Nadler said, or an idea, as Joe Biden said? Well, I think it's it is a myth uh, as long as the media wants it to be, because uh, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Oh, what's what's the saying? Reality is is uh, perception is reality. Okay. So uh, so yeah, it's probably going to be a myth. It's just an odd thing because it's so easy. It's so easy to do. It would be so darned easy for Joe Biden to denounce rioting by left as well as right by by anyone in America. Any political rioting should be denied. It would be so easy to do, you know, and. I want to make a. I don't want to make too much of a thing of uh, of this of this call for unity. But the more he speaks of it, it reminds me of the old Emerson line. You know, the more he spoke spoke of his virtue, the the quicker we counted our spoons. Um, it, it, the more he speaks of it, the less you see of it, and and it just seems like it would be such an easy thing. What vested interest is it for the Biden administration to ignore? Or just just give a pass to Antifa violence that's taking place on the west out west. I suppose it blows the narrative that all violence is on the right. I suppose that's what it is. That is the vested and invested narrative. Only the left are violent. Excuse me. Only the right are violent. Only the right can be violent. That gets us to this little scandal, and it, it, it's a mini scandal about the National Guard. Talk about that too. But all of this was unnecessary. All of this was avoidable, except for the narrative and the political prop and propping 
they were using the National Guard for. If they weren't using them for the National Guard, as, if they weren't using the National Guard as a political prop to entrench a storyline about prospective violence, of which there was no credible threat we've now learned, then you wouldn't have had this mini-scandal of them having to sleep in the basement of the Department of Justice. We'll be right back. <laughs> 